Well, good morning, fellowship, whether you're here in this room, online, in Platinum, or in the children's room. Uh, we're just so glad uh, to be together in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. My name is Ray, one of the pastors here, and it's such a joy. What, wasn't that so encouraging to see how God has consistently answered the prayers of his people for that which is in line with his will, the extension of his kingdom? And that's what the third site's all about. Now, uh, I just want to ask a question. Uh, put up your hand if you have experienced in any way suffering, whether it's emotional, physical, spiritual, unemployment-wise in this life that you have had so far. Just put up your hand if you've had any kind, big or small, doesn't matter. That's right. And if you didn't put up your hand, I want to know what's wrong with you. <laughs> have you been living somewhere else? Because I tell you, it is impossible to live in this world without a quota of pain. And that's why, my friends, unless we have a clear understanding, a robust understanding of suffering through God's eyes, suffering will cry. We will not journey well as followers of Jesus. It will take us into dark corners of the soul filled with doubt. So often people misread suffering and do not understand its place within God's purposes. Today we will see that. So let's pick it up in Romans 8 verse 17. Actually, before we do that, why don't I pray? Because I say the word suffering, but right here, right now, online, wherever you are, platinum in this room, you could be going through a really dark season. So I want to bring, bring you particularly before the Lord. Father in heaven, sooner or later we will experience a quota of suffering that is beyond what we feel we can bear. And our prayer today, this moment, is that as we think your thoughts and open your precious word and encounter how you, Lord God, are for us in our suffering, that you will lift this burden, lift this dark cloud, and allow us to patiently journey, knowing that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 8.17. Now, if we are children... And we are. Then we are heirs. And we are. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. In other words, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. On this condition, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The next slide puts it beautifully. I want you to say it with me. The way of the Messiah is the way of the Messiah's people. That we journey through suffering before glory. First the suffering, then the glory. That's the fundamental law. Not that there's not a glory now, but there's a sense where I suffer with Christ now with the confidence of the glory that will be revealed. Steve Jobs um, uh, said this. Uh, he was Steve Jobs, you know, the whiz kid from Apple. Uh, he's now passed away, but uh, sadly. But he, he said when he was 13, he saw a magazine cover, it was Life magazine, of two children who were starving to death. It was a photo of them in a developing country. And he went to his minister, pastor, that, that Sunday at Sunday school and said these words, does God know about these children and where they're going to end up? Because if he does, I don't want to have any, I don't want to have in any way a, uh, a willingness to worship him, and, uh, and he never came back to church after that. Now, the minister was trying, the pastor was trying to explain to him uh, what God says on suffering, but he kind of really wasn't there to hear, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? He never went to church after that and gave up on Christianity. 
But he spent years studying Zen Buddhism, and Zen Buddhism denies the existence of suffering and evil. So work that out. Yeah, it's true. Christianity does not have all the answers to suffering. For example, we don't know why some people suffer more than others. That's a bit of a mystery. No one has the answer for that. But boy, do, does Christianity not have the best answers of any worldview? I mean, for a start, we have a God, our God, who comes in human form and experiences our suffering firsthand when he didn't need to then goes to the cross and takes upon himself the suffering that caught the sorry takes upon himself the sins that caused the suffering and then rises on the third day defeats death and then promises to come back at the end of the age to usher in a new creation where there's no more crying grief or pain friends if you want to cope with suffering you must understand the big picture and that's how paul begins in verse 18 with the big picture I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's as calculated as that. It's actually, I consider, the word of an accountant who weighs up the credit and the debit. When I weigh up the suffering with the glory, oh, they don't compare. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that in the UAE gambling is illegal, but... Try comparing the $5 you spend on a lottery, not you, someone else, and the $5 billion that you get at the end of it, or the $5 million. You can't compare the two. Now you say in this world, how long, O oh Lord? Why are you letting this suffering happen? But then you will say, oh, wasn't it worth it, as you taste of the glory to come. The suffering now cannot be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Let me show you a little simple example of that. A silly example. Who here is a football fan? You know, Manchester, uh, uh, Barcelona, whatever. Any, any, any football fans out there? Don't be ashamed. It's not a sin. That's it. I've got a double hand here. That's it. Um, now, for those of you who aren't fans of any sporting team, you don't understand what it's like. It's like a virus in your body and you can't shake it. You follow this team usually through the bad times more than the good times. Your emotional life rides on the back of their success. I follow a particular team, it doesn't matter which, I won't bore you with the details, but all I know this, for 31 years I followed this team without any success. We even got to the grand final on five occasions and managed to lose every one. I was there for some of those grand finals. I remember the Monday after one of them, I actually burst into tears. That's how bad this is. <laughs> anyway, but it finally happened, 2010. St. George, here's a photo of the winning team. They won the grand final in a code of football that will probably become you know, a distant memory in the future. But anyway, for a moment there, it happened. We were so euphoric. We'd been waiting so long after so much pain that we went back to the home ground and partied for 10, with 10,000 other people in red and white colours because that's our colour. We were hugging each other. We were chanting the songs. In fact, we partied so hard, we moved it onto the expressway like Sheikh Zayed Road in Sydney and we, were, we stopped the traffic and we were partying away It was because we knew we were, this was not going to happen again so we had, <laughs> we had to milk it for all. But it was in that moment I remembered this verse. Yes, in the middle of all of that, I remember the verse. I consider now the sufferings now that cannot compare with the glory be revealed. And I thought, this is what it's like in heaven. 
with all the joy and, the, and, and tasting of the victory and looking back on all of those losses and disappointments and all the suffering on this earth and saying, it really, really, really is worth it. Amen? Amen. And that's exactly what we'll be saying. And that's why we wait with eager expectation. There's a phrase here. It says eagerly awake. Sort of you're busting at the bit. You, you, kind of, you can't hold yourself back. Now, you don't do that if, if it's unsure whether the new creation is going to come, right? But if you're sure, if you know it's not a fingers crossed, touch wood, you know, all those silly superstitions, then, then there's no eagerly awaiting. But if you know as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, he's going to come back to usher in a new creation. You live with this confidence. And not, over, not only with creation have a makeover, you're going to have a makeover better than any cosmetic surgery. Yeah, that's right. Forget the Botox. I'm looking forward to the new creation. And uh, we're not... Oh, look, I'm not saying anything against Botox. <laughs> Uh, my mother used to have it every month because of our eyelids. She needed to have it. Anyway, I'm telling you too much story. <laughs> and the beauty is we're not watching, we're not going to share in this glory from the sideline watching it all kind of happen in front of us. We're going to be caught up in the glory. Did you notice that? The glory that will be revealed in us when we get transformed bodies. But for now, in this age, we groan. That word groaning is used in three different ways in this passage. It, it literally describes what your mother was doing when she was giving birth to you. You know that pain? You mothers know that pain. Us husbands observe the pain while you're giving birth to, your, to the children. I remember my wife punched me three times while she was giving birth to our firstborn. Um, I think she blamed me for, the, for what had happened, but I was only part of the problem. But think about it, the pain of giving birth. You can bet your life your mother wasn't singing What a Wonderful World as she's groaning. <laughs> she's in agony and she's looking forward to that moment when the child will be born and she will be set free from that pain and hold that child in her hand. Now notice who's groaning. It's very important. It's quite unique to this passage in Scripture. Firstly, creation is groaning. Creation is groaning. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. So creation is groaning. It's like it's going through the throes of childbirth. Um, and, and you notice the whole of creation, not just the 21st century when we humans have messed it up. And here's an image of, a, of kind of the, one of the ways in which we mess it up. No, no. It's groaning just as much in the untouched rainforests and in the beautiful, pristine, blue coral waters. Is that true? Yes. Why? Because it is enslaved to decay, as we'll see. In fact, that word groaning describes Israel enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, looking forward to the final release of the parting of the sea and being set free in the promised land. But let's look at what creation is enslaved to. Verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated, set free from its bondage, its slavery, to what? Decay. And brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation is groaning because of its enslavement together. Think about that. Every cell, every animal, every, every uh, tree cries out for freedom. The universe is not simply locked, sorry, the universe is locked into this never ending cycle of decline and death 
and decay and decomposition. You know, one of the pictures of the new creation is of a lamb and a lion lying down. It's beautiful. My sister used to have a sticker of it on a mirror with the words, coming soon. Coming soon. But in this age, you put a lamb and a lion together and come back an hour later, you're going to have a whole lot of blood on the floor and a lion licking his lips saying that was a lovely lunch. Built into the very nature of creation is this groaning because death is everywhere. So everywhere is it that we take it for granted. Humans, though, didn't enslave creation. God did. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. So it was God who cursed the ground. When Adam sinned, he didn't just bring down humanity, he brought down the whole cosmic order. Then when Eve reached for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't just her and the daughters of Eve who will experience the pain of childbirth, but the whole of creation is experiencing the groaning of the pain of childbirth. That's the world we live in now. We live in a world that is marked with floods and famines and tsunamis and earthquakes. Everything is broken. And so that's why the creation is not just simply some balanced cycle of life in perfect harmony if only we'd get out of its way. I mean, there's truth to that. But now we're told death and decay is, is kind of in the very fabric of nature. You know, my first task as a pastor on my first Sunday went like this. I went to church. And then at lunchtime, I was invited to a family's home. They had dwarf rabbits, like these beautiful rabbits. Cute. And they were, they were infected with a virus and they were slowly dying in a lot of pain. And they knew that I was Maltese and that Maltese love to eat rabbits, which means we probably know how to kill them. And would I put them down gently and respectfully because they were suffering? I oh, sure, no problem. I, I, I come to your place straight after. Now, remember, we used to, I used to have about 40 or 50 rabbits uh, and we would feed them. And then after church on Sunday, we'd go in there with my father and we'd get the rabbits. He'd, you know, we'd kill them and cut them and then give them to my mum to cook them. Too much information, sorry. <laughs> so rabbit stew. Oh, my mum's rabbit stew. Still the best meal I've ever had in my life. Anyway, so they give me the dwarf rabbit. And I think, oh, actually, I just remembered. It was actually my father who put the rabbit down, never me. So I thought, how did he do it? He grabbed the legs with one hand and the back of the head with another. And he was so smooth in the way he did it. Click. Very good way to go. No pain. Anyway, I tried to do the same thing. I grabbed the legs with one hand, the head with another click, except I used a bit too much force, and the head popped off in my hand. I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The kids went, ah. Creation is groaning. And so was that family. Maybe too much information. Sorry about that. You know Lion King? It's not a true story. Hakuna Matata may mean no worries, but that's the last thing a gazelle is saying when a lion's got it by the throat. It was God who enslaved creation to death and decay, and he did it with the expressed hope of setting it free. Verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Isn't it interesting that the resurrection of God's children will spearhead the rest of, uh, uh, of the new creation? It's like... All of nature is waiting for the day that you will rise from the dead. Because the moment the day of the Lord comes, 
then it will trigger off a set of things which will include the new heavens and the new earth. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take care of this earth. And that's sometimes we Christians have taken a long time to get our heads around this one. Here are three reasons why we take care of this earth. Number one, we care for it because we, it has been entrusted to us as a precious gift. We will have to give an account because we are called to steward this gift. Two, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. It might be in five minutes or it might be in 500 years. And three, we need to love the next generation. We need to hand this earth to the next generation better than when we found it. That's why we take care of this earth. But we know creation is groaning and there's a better one coming. Secondly, we the children of God groan. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So the Spirit, you know, you come to Jesus Christ, and one of the, the first gift God gives you is the gift of the Holy Spirit, who has made your body his home. Never forget that. A person the person of the Holy Spirit resides within you. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we groan. Because of that? Yes. Because it creates, he creates in us this godly discontent, this hunger for more. Why? Because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. You know, for now, it's the Spirit in me. But then it'll be God face to face. The gift of the Spirit doesn't give you this endless run of victories over sin and suffering. What it does is it reminds you that you live in a body that's aching with a nature that's still dragging you down. This language of first fruits creates in us this promise of more. It's a down payment guaranteeing that the best is yet to come. And so you ought to, as a believer, feel... Like this is not right and this is not home. Even this body is not home. There's a better body coming. Because you notice that what's coming is our full adoption, all the full privileges of our adoption. And you notice the phrase redemption of our bodies. Not redemption, we're not set free from our bodies. Your great hope is not to be Casper the friendly ghost whispering away in heaven. No, no, no. You're getting a new resurrected body transformed into the image of the likeness of Jesus' resurrected body. So if you want to know what your future is like, flip over to the back end of the Gospels, and whenever you see Jesus appearing and doing cool things like going through walls and stuff, think, wow, that's going to be my body. That's going to be, my body's going to be just like his body. <clears throat> every, Saturday, every day I meditate on a different truth in the Bible, and on Saturdays I meditate on the fact that heaven is my home that I have a salvation that will not perish, spoil, or fade, that I'll be given a resurrected body just like that of the Lord Jesus, that in this body that I'm going to get in the new creation, I not only, like you, won't sin, guess what? I can't sin. Wow, imagine living in a body where you can't sin. I remember having a, a nightmare once. We're in the nightmare, and I'm calling it a nightmare. Science discovered a way that we could live for 300 years. And I woke up in a ball of sweat, and I thought, oh, no, how am I going to stay godly for 300 years? This is going to be impossible. 
Because it is hard, isn't it? I know what my nature is like. I can handle, you know, 70, 80 years, but 300 years in this body? No way, man. That's too long. And so as I meditate on heaven, I keep thinking of my resurrected body where I will not sin, I cannot sin, I will not suffer, I cannot suffer. I'll no longer feel depressed. I'll no longer feel dumb. I'll no longer feel anxious. I'll no longer feel angry. I'll no longer feel like a fool. I'll no longer feel like a failure. You know all the things that we all battle with? And most of all, I will see God face to face with a smile I can't get rid of. The proof of that, the proof that you really believe that, is that you journey through suffering patiently. Look at verse 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has, for what, we, for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. patiently. Which doesn't mean you don't arm wrestle God and beat on his chest and cry out, how long, O Lord? That's all part of it. But you just hang in with Jesus. That the future hope, I so believe that that's coming, that my resurrected body, as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, I'm going to rise from the dead, and that God's going to usher in a new creation where there's no more crying or grief or pain. As surely as I believe that, so I will hang with Jesus no matter what suffering comes my way. Uh, my father tells this story. When he, when he came, migrated to Australia, he was 21, all by himself, didn't know much English. And three weeks after he arrived in Australia, he was working on a farm. I think we've got a photo of him there. He's cutting cane in Queensland. That's my father in the middle of those three guys on the truck. We're not a very tall family. <laughs> and that's it. The sugar cane may look tall, but it's only because, you know, we're a short family. Anyway, so he gets his job. He's chopping a tree. Three weeks in the country, right? He's chopping a gum tree, a big, thick gum tree, and it bounces off the tree and, and, and the axe lands on his foot. Actually, on, on, on where the foot and the, and the leg meet. And he said, a fountain of blood shot out. He then crawled three kilometers back to the homestead. He had to plead with the owner to call the ambulance because the, the owner didn't want to spend the money. The ambulance come. It's just a car. They throw him in the back seat. On the way to the hospital, the ambulance drivers stop off for lunch for an hour on the way to the hospital. He finally gets to the hospital. Remember, his family's on the other side of the world. He's 21. He's by himself in a lot of pain with no English. And he's there for a month. He'll come out of that with a permanent limp. And when he told me that story, and he did tell that story quite a few times, which is what we fathers do. But when he told me that story, I said, oh, Dad, you must have so regretted coming to Australia. He said, nope. I always knew it was a better country. Now, he doesn't mean better as in better people or whatever. He loved Malta. You know, he always loved Malta. But he knew there was hope of a better financial future there. If he worked hard, good things would happen. And so he endured this suffering with such optimism. Why? Because of the future hope. His hope for a better future made him endure the suffering now. I remember uh, about to, I was about to lead this Italian woman to, in a prayer to commit her life to Jesus. Now, Maria struggle with chronic depression. I said, Maria, you've got to understand, if you say yes to Jesus, your depression may still be with you as a Christian. I, I, I've got to say that. She said, and it was like a little rebuke. She said, oh, I know that, Ray. 
but I know a day's coming when I'm going to get a new body and there's no more depression. I said, you're absolutely right, sister. That's exactly what's coming. That's why we hang with Jesus, because of the future hope. Creation is groaning. We groan, but we don't groan alone. The Spirit groans for us. Now, what we're about to look at now is the only place you'll find this in the Bible. So stay tuned. Isn't it good you turn off for church today? Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself does what? Intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's very easy to lose your voice when you're experiencing endless pain. You find it hard to share it with others. You find it hard to share it with God. When you're crushed under the weight of ending pain, talking to anyone, including God, can be really hard. But listen again to that verse. Have a look at it. The Spirit himself, remember, he's a he, not a net. He's a person. Intercedes, prays for us. Wow. God has not abandoned you to this broken world. He's come alongside you. And at that point when all you have is prayer and you don't know how to pray and what to pray, that spirit that dwells within you, that spirit that enables you to cry out, Abba, Father, that same spirit has got your back. He's praying for you. Verse 27. And he, that's God, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for God's people, that's us, in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows the Father, the Father knows the Spirit, and they both know you intimately. They know you better than you know yourself. They know everything you're feeling and experiencing every moment of every day. And that is why when the Spirit is praying to the Father, he can pray, he can pray dead on target with the Father's will because he knows you and he knows the Father. This is the only time in the Bible you actually see this. We know lots of things about the Holy Spirit, but this particular part of the Holy Spirit praying for it, that, that's just here. In, in uh, About 10 years ago, uh, we, we built a church building in my old church. Now, you build one of those suckers, it takes a long time. It took us nearly 10 years to get to the point where it finally was built. I worked very closely with my dear friend Shane, who was a deacon in the church, very close friend. And uh, about a month or two before we built the building, two months before we built the building, he got diagnosed with cancer, bowel cancer. My goodness, he, no, we couldn't believe it. He's 43, he's got six kids, he was married to Amanda, we loved him dearly. He was such a model Christian man in his business and in his personal life and at church. Wow. So we got together, we prayed like mad. We prayed confidently that God can do more you can ever ask or imagine. The doctor said he's got two years to live. Two months later, he died. Oh. The only time he was in the building that he had designed was in a coffin. It was my 50th birthday, the day of the funeral. He always took me out for lunch on my birthday. I can't tell you. We were, the church was depressed. I mean, we had the building. We had lots of people coming, and we were all depressed. I mean that we were aching in sorrow. And I, had, I, I remember, I've, I don't think I've ever grieved as deeply as I have for Shane. In fact, even now, if I start talking too much about him, I'll probably cry. <laughs> and I remember 
I would wake up during that time, and as I woke up, I would remember that Shane was dead, and I would just burst into tears. I've never done that. I've never woken up crying, and I did it many times. It was such a hard time. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus on anything. I I struggled to pray. I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know how to pray. Now, while all that's happening for Ray here on earth, what was happening in heaven with God? What was happening? I'll tell you what was happening was this. That the Spirit was constantly praying for me to the Father. He was saying, Father, Ray's smashed right now. He's useless. (laughs) He's gone. But if he knew himself like I know him, this is what he'd want to say to you. But he can't do it, so I'm doing it for him. And if he knew you like I know you, this is how he'd want to say it. But like I said, Father, he's smashed, so I want to do it for him. That was going on every day, every day, between the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Father, talking about me, bringing my pain to the Father in accordance with his will. Just thinking about that. Think about that moment, and maybe you're going through it right now, where you think, I'm just smashed. I don't know how to pray. I don't want to pray even. I, I can't pray, whatever. And there is a Spirit of God that's in you, talking to the Father. He's got your back. What a great God. We've got a God, the Father, who knows your needs even before you ask. We've got God, the Son, who's at the right hand of the Father, our high priest who intercedes for us. And today you've heard that the Holy Spirit is praying for you, turning those groans, those aches into prayers in line with the Father's will. Do we not worship a great God, brothers and sisters? What a great God. We groan, yeah, we groan, but we don't groan alone. And when those dark moments come and life is heavy and the pain is as thick as custard and the tears come quickly and the joy has gone, you've got to remember that right then the the Spirit is speaking to the Father on our behalf. You know what? Helping us to believe what the Word of God says. That Word back in 18... Why don't we say it together? Because that's what the Spirit is wanting us to understand. Let's say it together. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow. So when you, with your resurrected body, project yourself into the future, and what a good future there lies before you. Unless, of course, you're not a follower of Jesus, and none of this is true for you. So I want to say, get on board and follow Jesus. But once you do, there is a, the best is yet to come. You, as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead and you will step into the new creation. Now imagine as you stepped into the new creation, you're bumping into this person and that person. You bump into a Russian Christian who was in prison for eight years in the gulag because of their commitment to follow Jesus. Or you meet that Canadian woman who dived into a lake and came out a quadriplegic and spent her 40, 50 years in this earth in a wheelchair. Or you meet that young man who uh, was disinherited by his dad because he finally, for the first time, declared Jesus to be Messiah. Or maybe that Chinese woman, that mother, who witnessed the death of her two kids in a tragic car accident. And you go alongside them and say, whoo, didn't you guys experience a lot of suffering back in the old earth? You know what they're going to say to you, don't you? They're going to look at you with a confused look and say, suffering? What suffering? I barely remember it. But isn't it fantastic to be in the presence of the Lord God? 
brilliant, majestic, and wonderful. Because I consider that our sufferings way back in that old earth cannot be compared with the brilliant, majestic glory that we're experiencing now. Amen? Amen. Amen. And because of that, we patiently hang in there with Jesus through the suffering, with joy in our heart, because heaven is our home. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to understand that this creation is groaning. It is like us a glorious ruin, part glory, part ruin. It's enslaved like us to death and decay, and one day, like us, will be set free. Lord, today we want to thank you for normalizing our experience because we too groan. You tell us we, even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan in these broken bodies, in this broken world. But we groan knowing that there is a certain hope because the best is yet to come. And, and most of all, Lord, we want to thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being for us, with us, and in us. And today we specifically want to praise you, Holy Spirit, because when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what to pray, there you are praying to the Father for us in our moments when those dark clouds descend. And some of my brothers and sisters are in those dark moments right here, right now. Father, help them and us all know that you've got our back that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are for us and that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a great and awesome God, worthy of all praise, glory, and honour. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful, awesome, majestic name. And all the saints said? Amen. Amen indeed. What a great God we worship, brothers and sisters.